If we energetically felt as close to every being in this world as we do to our most cherished friends and family, we would have a deeper realization of compassion. Welcome to the Wisdom of Compassion, a podcast presented by White Conch Dharma Center. Our guests share their successes and struggles as we aim to deepen our confidence in the value of compassion. I'm Nawang Zopa, and joining me today is the co-founder of Joyful Path Meditation and Healing Center, Nawang Pema. Lama Pema is an ordained monastic in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and a fellow of the Academy of Parish Clergy. Pema has over 20 years of experience, working in various aspects of state government, nonprofit, and corporate America, but her passion is for the Dharma. She serves as an administrator, yoga instructor, and a Buddhist teacher at Joyful Path, and is one of the White Conch teachers in training. Lama Pema, it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks for having me today. So you have a program at JP, Joyful Path, called Practical Buddhist Wisdom, in which you participate as a teacher. And I'm curious, what aspects of Buddhism do you enjoy teaching the most? Not studying, but but teaching, unless uh, perhaps it's the same for both. Well, in some ways, that's a difficult question. I'd have to say I really enjoy teaching about compassion. I enjoy teaching about loving kindness. I love teaching about joy. And I also think that it's really important to understand the Four Noble Truths. And those are the things that the Buddha first taught in his very first teachings. And they really guide us to understand that suffering exists. There's a cause that we can end suffering and that there's a way to do that. I like to teach things that solve people's problems. And I think Buddhism offers a lot in terms of how to improve our happiness, our sense of well-being, how to deal with stressful situations. So these sound like concepts that are applicable to a wide range of people. And I'm sure you're aware of the polls and, and surveys that take stock of um, the religious demographics, both internationally and in the U.S., and they're showing that almost across the board, we can see a growth in the percentages of people who might identify themselves as unaffiliated with any particular religion. And I'm wondering, given this changing landscape of, of spirituality, how do you see the role of a spiritual teacher evolving? Is there, is there an onus on the teacher to find elements of their tradition that can be kind of an olive branch, if you will, to those who might not identify with a particular religion? You know, it makes me think of a prayer that we have in Buddhism where we actually pray that a guidance comes to us according to our needs, meaning guidance comes to us in ways that we can understand and connect with it. So I think built into the Buddhist tradition is this understanding that those who have concerns, those who have problems or interests in spirituality, need to connect with it in a way that makes sense to them. And I think that that's always been true, and I think it will always be true. And so if we take that as a given, then we have to think about, in today's time and age, what, how do people connect, and what will they connect with? So how, how does one go about determining what aspects of their religion people will connect to? I mean, we can't exactly go out and take a straw poll. How do you know what are the transcending elements? 
what are the things that people can benefit from regardless of their specific faith? I think all major religions contain timeless truths, things that haven't changed. Compassion is important. Love is important. Kindness is important. So in today's society, among those people who consider that they have no particular religion, what we understand is that many of them are really interested in the mystical aspects of spirituality. And in that case, if they're going to church, or if they're curious about church, they're not going to church to hear the scientific explanations of why spirituality is important. They've actually heard enough analysis, and they really would like an experience that's more esoteric and more mystical. And for those people, I would say that our tradition has a lot to offer because we have uh, a deep understanding of prayer and chanting and ritual. For some people, it's going to be important to have a scientific basis for how their spiritual practices are accomplishing their goals. Because we also have many goal-oriented, scientifically oriented people who are among the group who do not claim a particular religion. And for those people, it's going to be important to show how many different studies have been done now on mindfulness meditation, on loving-kindness meditation, and on the different understandings that come from developing compassion and generosity and the things that we consider virtuous qualities. So with all that being said, I think it's very important for a spiritual teacher to think about what are the problems that are on people's minds today, to speak to them in their own language with their own examples, and to understand that various personalities, various interests, will allow people to connect to spiritual practices and spiritual training in different ways. And if we have that kind of flexibility within our view, then I believe many more people will have access to practices and training that will help them accomplish what they'd like to accomplish in their spiritual practices today. So the the polls that I mentioned, they don't explicitly say this, but from what I see on social media and in the news and even from conversations with friends, there there seems to be a trend of moving away from organized religion. Do you think spirituality is becoming more secular? I think we could say that spirituality is becoming more secular, but it raises a concern for me. I like to look at religion as the container for spiritual training. So I look at it like a university is the container for training doctors. If we don't have a container for preserving and disseminating spiritual understandings under the umbrella of religion, my question is, where will we maintain that? Now, if a university does a poor job of training doctors, we ask the university to improve. And I think that that's the same thing that we need to think about in terms of spiritual training. If we don't want to utilize a religious paradigm or institution in order to preserve our spiritual understandings, what will we use? And if we don't have a good answer to that, then maybe we need to ask our religious organizations to consider the needs today and whether or not they're actually 
delivering according to what people need. But we also have to understand that spiritual instruction really covers behavioral change, changes in thoughts, and changes deep inside. And so those things are not always obvious right away. So building trust is extremely important, and that happens over time. So sometimes people want change in a religion because they haven't practiced it long enough to understand the advanced trainings and why those advanced trainings are there. I like how you made the analogy of religion to a container because I think that's part of the benefit of organized religion. It's organized, it's structured, you know, based upon these the founding concepts of these great human beings. I think I think people grow weary of dogma and they kind of move away the moving away from religion is almost to me it seems like it's almost an act of personal rebellion. At the same time by rebelling against religion they're not only abandoning the dogmatic aspects of that religion, but also the valid and beneficial elements. So is there, is there a balance? Is dogma bad? Well, I think if you become too rigid, it's actually against the teachings of most of the great religions. I don't think that dogma was ever really part of the approach for an educated society. We see, even outside of Buddhism, we see uh, texts and guidance that was written for what I think were cultures that weren't as literate, experienced, that they didn't have as broad of a worldview. And again, if we think about instruction being according to the needs of beings, then we may see some old texts that appear dogmatic, but maybe that's what people needed back then, something that was very black and white. In our society today, people are highly educated. They have very broad worldviews. We're exposed to a lot of different ways of thinking and being. And in that case, I think it's really important to have a flexible approach. People who are mature in their religious and spiritual understanding may be firm about what certain texts mean, but if they've wandered into dogmatism, I'm not sure that that's really the spirit in which the religion itself is being presented. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. So here's a quote. You can't just overlay joy on a joyless state. You actually have to get rid of the joyless state first. You can't put patience over top of impatience and then have patience. Impatience sits in the place where patience would sit. Like musical chairs, the chair is already taken by impatience. Who do you think said that? Oh, well, it would be Domogeshe Rinpoche, of course. Oh, I'm sorry. The correct answer was Nawang Pema <laughs> from, from a practical Buddhist wisdom series uh, discussing gaining clarity of mind. Better luck next time. The idea behind this podcast was to provide an opportunity for the exploration of compassion. And while your previous statement wasn't necessarily about compassion, I'd like to take a look at compassion in the context of what you were presenting. So, as an obstacle to arising compassion, what is the negative emotion or perception sitting in the proverbial chair? Or are there many? Um, well, you could look at this at different levels. I think that we can connect with anger I think we can connect with stress and worry as 
things that feel familiar that would be sitting in the chair. But I think it's our essential lack of a deep realization of being interdependent with all beings in this world system. We have an intellectual knowledge that we're interdependent, that somebody brings the gas to the gas station, uh, that somebody grows the food that we purchase in the grocery store. So if we sat and thought about it, we'd understand it. But if we energetically felt as close to every being in this world as we do to our most cherished friends and family, we would have a deeper realization of compassion. So I would say that it's just our confusion about how closely related we are as human beings that sits in that chair. And that confusion really gives rise to anger, it gives rise to worry, it gives rise to stress. So Lama Pema, the first weekend of December, Domo Geshe Rinpoche, the spiritual director of White Conch, is going to be giving a series of talks at Joyful Path. Would you like to tell us a little bit of what's in store? Well, we're very excited to have her here teaching. Uh, she comes several times a year to teach, and she'll be teaching the whole weekend this time, which is not typical. And during the weekend, we've asked Rinpoche to give teachings on how to practice the spiritual path, whether you're Buddhist or not. And I think this speaks to the question you asked me earlier, because we can take a lot from the Buddhist religion and Buddhist understandings, and we can secularize it. So for people who are uncomfortable practicing a specific religion or feeling like they're a card-carrying Buddhist, they can still understand how the mind functions. They can still improve states of mind using Buddhist techniques. So she's going to teach that, and she's going to teach an introduction to Buddhism. There are a lot of people who think that Buddhism is more of a philosophy and way of life, but it's not a religion, and there are people who think that Buddhism is a religion, and so we're going to try to clear up why is it that people have mixed views about what Buddhism actually is. And then we'll offer a few practical tips on how to practice some of the Buddhist techniques in your life in order to achieve the goals that you might like to achieve in terms of your happiness, your well-being, your sense of compassion, those types of things. Thank you, Pema. And on December 27th, White Conch will host the first session of its annual winter retreat at our retreat facility, Lotus Lake Buddhist Center. The session will focus on the courage of a spiritual practitioner and will consist of individual and group meditation sessions. Each day, Rinpoche is going to be giving meditation instructions and will lead discussions on what it means to have spiritual courage. To register or to learn more, please go to white-conch.org courage. You can view other upcoming White Conch retreats and events at white-conch.org events. So I'm going to give you another quote here, and then I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the things you're doing at Joyful Path. Sure. True compassion means not only feeling another's pain, but also being moved to help relieve it. That's by Daniel Goleman, a renowned psychologist and author of the book, Emotional Intelligence. How does that resonate with you? Do you agree that having a desire to help alleviate the suffering of another 
is a key element of compassion? Well, in Buddhism, we understand compassion is of many different levels. I think it's important to understand that we can connect with and comprehend another person's suffering without having to feel it. Because when we feel or take on another person's suffering, it often activates our own suffering, or sometimes it just feels very overwhelming, and it puts us in a position where it's difficult to be present and it's difficult to be skillful because we're distracted in feeling our own pain or in feeling and managing their pain within our own being. So I think the important thing is to recognize that we can be present with someone in a very compassionate way without taking on their suffering. That said, I also think that compassion involves wishing that we could alleviate the suffering of others, that we could be of help or support in improving their situation. That's a very important perspective to have. Absolutely. So Joyful Path Meditation and Healing Center was founded in 2008 as a place to facilitate healing and transformation. The center has a bevy of wonderful programs, and I believe you've recently started a program for children called Happy Lotus. Tell us a little bit about Happy Lotus and what else is new at JP. <laughs> Happy Lotus is such an exciting new program that we have. We had a social this year, and many parents and children attended, and I was surprised at how caring for our children really brings the entire community together. And we can do it in such a fun and happy way. So I'm really looking forward to the full program early next year. We're also working with one of our Sangha members, Nina Lofo, to provide meditation instruction and Buddhist instruction in the prison systems. And so we're currently going to the federal prison. We are raising money to provide Buddhist books and meditation books for the inmates at the Federal Correctional Institution, and we're very excited to support the men there. In addition, we offer a lot of programs here that are of three different levels. One is really something that we call mind-body, or relax, move, and heal. It's about taking those basic principles in a non-sectarian way and helping people feel healthier. So we might offer massage, yoga instruction, clinically researched aromatherapy, uh, different techniques to actually help people just feel better. The second set of programs and classes that we offer revolve around understanding the benefits of meditation, the different types of meditation, and then learning to practice those meditations. So, for instance, our cultivating mindfulness class, our loving kindness series are really focused around learning meditation. But in addition to learning meditation, we talk about why do people meditate? What are they trying to accomplish? And we give them some practical tips on how to live daily life in a way that's more commensurate with those goals. 
And then for people who have connected with us and seen the benefits of the different tools and techniques that come out of the Buddhist approach, we actually offer full training in the Buddhist path. So I myself facilitate a discussion group and a study group on Fridays that revolve around basically acquainting ourselves with the entire Buddhist path and how we might be able to apply each of the steps in the Buddhist path in our own lives. And then, of course, for the more advanced Buddhist trainings, we're so happy to welcome Domo Geshe Rinpoche to help share that information with our broader community. Lama Pema, thank you for spending some time with me today. You're quite welcome. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Lama Pema or the programs at Joyful Path, visit their website at www.joyfulpath.org or check out some of Pema's talks at white-conch.org slash wcteachers. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on whatever platform you're listening. You can stay up to date on White Conch news and events at white-conch.org slash updates and can find all our social media links and blog posts as well as these podcast episodes at white-conch.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check out the next episode as we continue our exploration of compassion.